Hi, this is John Mulder, Executive Director of the Trillium Institute, along with Jason Beckrow, welcoming you to Palliative Matters. We are palliative doctors who treat patients and families who are dealing with difficult medical journeys. We'd like to share what we've learned along the way. How are you doing today, Jay? Doing well, John. How are you today? I'm fine. It's a good day, a little gray outside, but hey, you know, always excited to have these conversations with you. So it just is a nice way to kind of start out my day here today. Excellent. Let's do it. Yeah. So I had a couple of experiences recently and and the roles reversed and I was in the role of the patient or what I sometimes will say, I was on the other side of the curtain and it got me reflecting on how I make my healthcare choices. It made me wonder how have I helped, fostered, or sometimes stood in the way of my own patients' opportunity to make choices and to make decisions in their healthcare journey. So it got me thinking about how I teach physician-patient communication to the medical students. And there are basically three broad categories that we can look at there. One is directive. And I think that probably is what sometimes is the expected communication style. I'm the doctor, you're the patient, I'll tell you what it is you need to know and what you need to do. And I guess there are times when that could be an appropriate thing. If you're in the midst of a crisis, you're in the emergency room, you've had something broken, something is bleeding, something has to happen right now. The doctor's in the perfect position to say, this is what it is, this needs to happen. And if it doesn't, something bad is going to occur. And then there's been this trend over the last several years about patient autonomy and self-determined decision-making. You know, I get to decide for myself what kind of treatments I want and don't want. And as part of that then, the physicians sometimes will develop a style of communication to say, well, here's what's going on. Here are your options. You pick what it is that you want to do or what you don't want to do. Which it's, it's good to have options. On the other hand, are the patients in a good position with all the information and knowledge that they need? Do they have all the information required for them to be able to make the decisions that are going to be best for them? And on what basis are they making those decisions? And then the third is a collaborative type of communication style in which we as physicians are able to share what we know about the the medical piece of what's going on with them. But we also get to inquire about what's important to them and what their values are. We have talked some about that in previous podcasts, but it's really important, which is why it's worth mentioning again. And so once we understand what's important to them, once we understand what the medical background is, we're in a better position to say, you know, here's something that you might want to consider in terms of how we might want to proceed based on what's important to you and what all the different options are. So the choices then become informed by the patient's value system. And it's not me simply telling someone what to do in a paternalistic sense. And it's not forcing them to pick from a list of things that they don't have a full understanding about or how it might relate to them. And I'm just curious. I know that you've had an opportunity to work with students as well. And you've obviously been immersed in uh, the patient care paradigm. In your previous work in oncology, you've had to help navigate patients through some very, very challenging and difficult decision-making processes. And I'm wondering how that paradigm resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think this is probably one of our greatest challenges and uh, responsibilities as physicians to help our patients with decision-making. And again, if we see life as a binary, paternalistic, or completely here are the facts, you make the choice, you're on your own, that just doesn't feel right, does it, John? 
No, no, it, it absolutely doesn't. It kind of reminds me of a time I brought my car in to my mechanic. It was shimmying. And I thought to myself, eh, Greg will help to fix that. So I took it in and drove in and I said, Greg, I said, my car is shimmying. I think I need new tires. And he sort of sarcastically grinned and said, oh, so now you're the car diagnostician. Mm-hmm. And I said, fair enough. I said, okay, so here's what I know. It's shimmying. And he checked it out and says, you know, you were right this time. It, it, it is tires. You need new tires. So at that point, there are a couple of things that he could have done. He could have said, have a seat in the waiting room. I'll put new tires on and we'll be good to go. And you know what? I would have done that. Why? Because I trust him. He didn't do that, though. He could have said, yep, you need new tires. What kind do you want? I've got Michelin and Hanyuk and Coopers and Goodyear's. And how would I know what kind of a tire I want? What would be the basis for my decision making? It would simply be, well, who's got the coolest ads? Boy, they put a blimp up in the air. They must have good tires, right? They have cute cartoonish ads, so they must be good tires, right? And you can see the idiocy of that kind of a process. But he didn't do that either. He said, have a seat. And he said, tell me about your driving habits. So I said, well, I, you know, I think I'm a pretty safe driver. I'll try to stick to the speed. Okay maybe five, five well, t- uh, no more than 10 over, mostly highway miles and not a lot of jackrabbit starts and stops. And then he paused and said, okay, what would Lisa say if I asked her that question? Lisa being my wife. And then I said, oh, well, she, she might have a comment or two about how often I hit the curb on her side of the car, or she does occasionally grab the side window on the dashboard at the same time, which suggests that maybe I'm a little bit more reckless than I think I am. And he sort of chuckled and said, okay, any concerns you have about tires? And I said, anytime I get a flat tire, it seems to be 33 degrees, 1030 at night, sleeting, and I don't have a coat or gloves. So some sort of run flat technology would be kind of nice to have. And I, I put a lot of miles on the car, so I want something that's going to last a long time. And I, don't re- I really don't want to change my tires in the spring and in the fall. So some all year something would be useful for me. And he said, okay. And he makes some notes and he says, what you need are Pirelli 275.22s. And I said, whatever you say. And he made, that, he made that decision based on everything that I told him about my driving habits, my concerns, and everything else that he knew about my car. What would my car need because of the type of car it was? And then he said, well, I don't sell those. And I said, well, okay, well, what do I do then? He says, well, I'll find some and I'll let you know. So a week later, I'm sitting back in his waiting area while he's putting the tires on the car. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't we do that in medicine? He demonstrated what I thought was one of the most perfect examples of patient-centered care. Mm-hmm. He wasn't being dogmatic or authoritative or directive in his role. And he wasn't being just informational, giving me a list and allowing me to choose. He really put everything together to find the right product for me. And I thought, that's what we need to be doing in healthcare. That's how we need to be making these decisions. It's a lot more important to understand how we're going to manage our care with certain disease states than it is putting a tire on a car. John, I'm curious, how long have you known your mechanic? Uh, Well, at that time, it was about 12 years. 12 years. John, do you trust your mechanic? I trust my mechanic. 
If you met, uh, we go back in time 12 years, haven't met this guy yet. What's the mechanic's name? Greg. Greg. Walking in Greg's uh, garage. Never met him. Don't know anything about Greg other than he's got a garage. What's your trust level? I'm going to be a little guarded. Guarded. Okay. Someone said to me, you might want to check this out. He's helped me. Mm -hmm. Seems to be trustworthy. So it was going on a recommendation. Sure. That I walked in the door in the first place. But now he's got to prove to me. Got to earn your trust. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the concepts of being guarded and trust. And let's really, is this not all about the concept of trust? And over time, you've built a relationship with the mechanic. Exactly. He's earned your trust. Mm -hmm. And over time, that's been tested, retested. And now you could go in there and say, do what you got to do. And you'll get it done pretty quickly. And you trust what needs to be done will be done, correct? Right. Because as you pointed out, now it's based on the integrity of the relationship. Yeah. So let's talk about trust and let's talk about relationship. Because is that not at the end of the day, what we do or what we aim to do and teach our students how to do at the highest level? Absolutely. You know, I was taking some notes there as you're talking and you know, the concept of, again, a binary paternalistic, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, I know what's best, you will sit down and I will tell you what to do. That doesn't feel quite right, does it? Oh, I'm being sarcastic. Hopefully that feels really wrong. But go in the opposite direction too. And I see this from time to time. Folks, here are the facts. Now you need to make the choice. And we've talked about the burden of choices in an earlier podcast. I think a question that sometimes we will get that I think we would like to talk about today is when the patient turns to you and says, what would you do? Yes. The easy out there is to say, well, I'm not you. And therefore it's your question. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what we've recognized, I really liked how you kind of delineated in the middle is that uh, collaborative approach, relational approach. And as we build a relationship with patients, as we understand what is important to them, understanding their values, their decision-making, now we can answer that question. Maybe not necessarily what I would do as an individual, but maybe what I would do if I was a person who shared knowing your values and your decision-making process and to get them to that point so that we can educate them on their disease process, uh, what's going on, uh, what are the treatment options, empowering them to make the decisions that are right for them at that particular time right? I imagine medical decisions that we would make in our 20s may be different than uh, decisions we'd make in our 50s or in our 70s or 80s. Well, absolutely. It's fluid. And I know that a lot of doctors don't like that question. Well, what would you do if this were you? Or what would you do if that were your dad or your mom? And you're right. They deflect back, well, it's, it's not me and it's not my family, so I can't make that call. The way that I sometimes will answer that is to say, Tell me what's important to him. Tell me what's important to you. Because if I know that, then I can answer that question. Because based on what is important and what values you hold, then I could tell you what I would do if those were my values as well. Again, it gets back to the values. And that conversation just automatically then yields a more vulnerable environment that helps to strengthen the relationship, and therefore the trust. So when a patient asks me that question, if I can relate that back to their value system, then I can help them answer that. I don't want to answer the question based on my values if it doesn't resonate with theirs. 
when they ask that question, what would you do? They're inviting you into a place where vulnerability can be an asset in terms of helping them, helping you, solidifying the relationship and enhancing trust. Yeah. I think one of the things we'd like to get across is the concept of what would you do is, that's a fair question. It's not a comfortable question. And it's something that we need to work on throughout our practice. But maybe the meta message in that question is, help me make the right decision based on my values, my circumstances. So I think one of the things we would like to convey you know, to our listeners and, and to our students is the in fact that when a patient's ask us, what would you do? That's a fair question. But again, as you just delineated, it's not necessarily what would you do based on my values or on Dr. John's values. It's what would we do with this information based on our patient's values? And there is why the concept of building a relationship seeking to earn the patient's trust and build the patient's trust and, 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 and continue to build that over time. And again, answer that question as best we can based on the patient's values, what's most important to them. Uh, just like you mentioned with your mechanic, based on the type of driving you do, what are your goals, right? Uh, you want, you want a hundred thousand miles on these, you want 50,000 miles. Yep. We're dealing with patients that are really faced and forced to think about life's big questions. Most of our patients have severe life limiting or life altering diseases and prognoses. And they may be facing choices that weren't necessarily front of mind, even just days before we met. So that concept of working hard to form relationship, earn trust, demonstrate our empathy. Vulnerability was another word that you used recently here, John, demonstrating that from time to time, we don't have all the answers, but we're working hard to figure that out. But to be able to be vulnerable enough uh, to be uh, fully present with our patients and delineate the, the, the fact that we may not have perfect answers, but how can we work together to educate our patients and their family and loved ones and you know, empower the real them to make the choices that are best for them based on their and you know, the real value in that is understanding that that grows the relationship, that grows the trust. I think that there are times in which we have this impression, maybe from watching TV medical shows, that there's an issue, a diagnosis, a crisis, something comes up, there's an immediate diagnosis, there's a plan that's in place, and before the hour-long show is over, the problem has been resolved. And it's, it's very, very transactional. And I was thinking about that juxtaposition between transactional and relational. And how often we see that you go to the store because you need to buy an item, you pick it out, you pay for it, and you go home. Chances are you have no idea who stocked that shelf. You have no idea who even helped check you out. You might not have even used a person to check it out. You just bought it there much different paradigm than the kind of the old fashioned mom and pop store when, when they knew who you were, they might even know what you were coming in for and have it ready for you. But there was a sense of loyalty. There was a sense of understanding and the relationship helped to make the experience more productive and more meaningful. And I can't help but think that within the realm of medicine, that 
that relational aspect is what's going to ultimately help our patients make the best decisions for themselves. When we default to a transaction, this is the disease you have, and this is how we treat it, and so we'll start your treatment next Monday. You take the humanism out of it. You take the relationship out of it, and that can be frightening. I think it can be confusing. And quite frankly, I think it can sometimes send patients down a road to treatments that may not be the best option for them. Yeah, and I think we've really shed light on the importance of relationship and to our, our colleagues, to our patients, working hard to earn our patients' trust, build that relationship so that, again, we can educate them on where they're at, empower them to make choices better for them, and then that's really where healing begins. Helping patients with choices is really at the essence of what we do. They come into us with challenges, with problems, with diseases, and they want solutions. They want answers. They want direction, which we are charged with providing. And I think that the more we begin focusing on the relationships and understand that so many of these processes are long-term issues. And the longer we work with the patient, the clearer that not only their values will inform their decisions, but the clarity of how they should proceed with decisions and life, quite frankly, will become. And so I think that looking toward this collaborative relational aspect of how we interact with the patients is going to yield a lot of fruit. We'll address more of this. I think this is a really great topic worthy of, of more consideration. So we'll chat more about this later. Well, thank you for joining us today for this episode of Palliative Matters. If you've enjoyed this, we encourage you to share the link with your friends and family and check out our catalog for other topics that might be of interest to you. In the meantime, have a wonderful day, and we'll look forward to chatting again on another episode of Palliative Matters. Palliative Matters.